if you were captured by a foreign army, what do you think your chances would be of not only surviving, but having a good life and being in the leadership and in the government? Well, what is your chance, if you thought that might have occurred, of being in leadership positions over the next 65 years? And if that wasn't enough, succeeding rulers from different ruling nations that took over the country you're living in. Daniel is one such man. An example to us of a young man who made the right choices, who trusted God and who God used incredibly in high levels of government. I believe Daniel is a man we can all learn from through his example. Starting as a young man, trusting God, putting him first and never wavering. Malachi 3 tells us that God does not change. And Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So what happened with Daniel can happen today too. But let's start by thinking about God. How big is the God that you worship? Just think of God for a minute. How do you picture him? Have you ever looked up at, the, up at night and marvelled at the spread of stars across the vast expanse of the universe? Get a cloudless night. It's really beautiful. Do you realise that the universe is so big that no man can be sure of its extent? Louis Giglio, in his DVD, Indescribable, says that man has successively made telescopes bigger and more powerful, and he continues to do it, and he is, th he is still looking at it, and he still has not seen beyond the extent of the universe. The Whirlpool Galaxy is a very attractive one. It's a mere 31,000 light years away. Just imagine the speed of light. You see somebody shoot something up there, the puff of smoke, you've, you've seen it, it's instantaneous, then you hear the bang. 186,000 miles, uh, what is it, per second or something like that. Incredible. And yet the Whirlpool Galaxy is 31,000 light years away. This immense galaxy, he says, contains about 300 billion stars. God created it, and so when we worship God as he's revealed in the Bible, we're worshipping a God who told Job that he holds the stars, the universe, in the palm of his hand. The exciting thing is this, that God who put together a universe so big our minds cannot comprehend it also cares for each of us and wants us to be a part of his ministry in this world, just like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. I challenge you to consider what the book of Daniel, which is about the God who lives and acts in the world and in our lives, 
says and to ask God what it means in your life. In verse 1, we read that Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem with his armies. And verse 2 reads, The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. In 605 BC, the Babylonians captured Jerusalem and thousands of captives. It's not just something that happened that the people would shrug off. There'd be real disillusionment among the people who saw themselves as God's chosen people. We read to start the service about Abram and the promise God gave Abram and these people knew they were God's chosen people. The sad thing is that God had prophesied and they had prophecy had come true that because of their sin they had been carried off. But it would seem to them that God had deserted them. Wasn't their God one that they could now rely on? Wasn't he one who could give them victory? Rather, they have to live under Nebuchadnezzar's exceeding arrogance. Was God so weak as to allow Nebuchadnezzar to plunder his temple and take them to the treasure house of his own pagan god? Did this show that Nebuchadnezzar's god was superior? He certainly saw his conquests as proof of his superiority. But apparent success is not always what it appears. What they saw and experienced was only the introduction to set the scene for all that followed. Verse 3 talks about Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, bringing some Israelites into the king. They were young men of nobility, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So imagine yourself. You are one of the young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael or Azariah. You're 15 to 19 years old. You're from one of the royal families. You're smart, good-looking. Your future is assured, it seems but then your country is besieged. You're taken prisoner and marched off on a trek for months to a foreign land to be brainwashed into Babylonian culture for the task of assisting in dealing with your fellow men that have been imported there. You don't fit into the society in which you find yourself a prisoner. You're with the king's trainees. How real would God be to you? How would you act if your survival depended on it and you're not ever likely to see your homeland again? I read that in Babylonia the gods were specialist gods with their supposed realms of control and influence. In New Guinea, in their part we worked in and in other animistic societies and communities, although not all the same, the concept of a spirit is there to protect your group And it often involves a locality, a specific area. 
It's important to keep this spirit happy so it will look after you. These beings are believed to have limited areas but are powerful in the areas in which they belong. When people leave home and move to another area, they cannot expect protection from their spirit in their home area. Young folk move to town and there's often a change of behaviour which clearly shows they have no accountability and all sorts of things occur. One of my friends who had come to know God was a long way from home one night when he was oppressed by an evil presence. He called out to Jesus and the oppression suddenly lifted from him. He knew that God could be relied on. When we find ourselves in a new situation, how do we act? Do we act like these teenagers did with integrity because we love God? Because that's how they acted. They still trusted God in their time of need. They knew they were God's people. They were determined to live for him. They were now his representatives among heathen people and acted in faith in the expectation that God would maintain his honour since they were there where they were due to his purpose. We might ask, how come they were like this? Do you remember the story in the Bible of Josiah, the eight-year-old boy who became king? Well, midway through his time as a king, scrolls were read telling of God's threats. Josiah listened. He called the land to repentance and he set about to honour God, to destroy the idols and idolatry in the kingdom and lead his people as a godly leader would. This had been occurring less than three years before the country was besieged, as had been foretold. So these young men who were there living in royalty experienced the godliness of Josiah, may have known Josiah, and had an understanding of who God was. Daniel did not act as one who felt that the world was against him, who simply had to survive. We could say he took his faith to the world, expecting God to show his power and honour his name. So as they began in their new location, Daniel and I expect the other three all had to do what each of us has to do when we're working cross-culturally. We have to think through the principles of how we're going to act in this situation and how they acted now as they faced the situation would influence their potential actions in the future too. We read in verse 8 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel accepted his re-education. He accepted his new name. But as all food in the uh, king's banquet there was ritually unclean and there were cultural expectations tied to it, he drew the line, drew the line at eating the king's food that would dishonour God and limit his ministry opportunities. To eat a ruler's food was to commit oneself to allegiance with him in this case, with the king. The Tyndale commentary writer suggests that he rejected this symbol of dependence 
in order to stay focused on God. But it meant that as they did this, the men were in a direct collision course with Nebuchadnezzar because the refusal to eat the king's food could be seen as something akin to treason. In a similar way, when we have a life transition, moving into state or to a different community, going away to uni, or something like that, we're left with choices. What will we decide? Do we decide the way that everyone else acts, because no one who cares about us will know? Or the way of the cross, where we trust God, rely on his intervention and care, and stand up for what we believe is right. In a sense, we're free to choose, but when in faith we honour God, we see that he responds to our faith in ways that foster our growth. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew their God. And it's interesting. We see Daniel being called Daniel all throughout the book of Daniel. But then in interaction with Nebuchadnezzar, we see um, the other guys called by their Babylonian names. It's very interesting. They knew their God. They chose to honour him through their lives, not only by obeying limits, but also by the attitude and the way they conducted themselves. Verse 9 says, God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. Daniel didn't argue, but with graceful determination, he made a suggestion. He said to the guard, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and tested them for 10 days. It was the lot of these four youths in worldly Babylon to prove in this highly competitive setting that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. 1 John 5 verse 4 affirms the power behind their actions and other actions done in faith. It says, For whatever is born of God is victorious over the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, even our faith. And so years before the New Testament was written, these young men of God were acting in the principles of God. They took a step of faith to honour God, a big step. Now just imagine yourself asking for a change of diet for 10 days and believing that God is going to use that to make a difference big enough that his way and his purpose and their belief will be seen. And God honoured that faith. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. God answered by proving that he indeed cared for them. Hard work and intelligence alone did not account for their wisdom and skills. It was God's gift. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. 
And verse 20 says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. These young men stood their ground against ungodly Babylonian expectations. They remained faithful to their God and he honoured their faith before all who were watching. What does it mean that they were ten times better? I read that it means that in terms of being people the king could rely on who had discernment and good judgment that could help him succeed as being a king and make decisions, they were far better than any of the others. And we read in verse 21, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That was something like 66 years, from 605 BC to 539 BC. And just briefly, we had Nebuchadnezzar, and then we had uh, Belshazzar, and then that night, and we'll cover it in December or thereabouts, um, with the writing on the wall, and Belshazzar was taken over, and um, who was it? Darius came in and took over, uh, or the Medes and the Persians came in and took over that night, and Daniel was still seen as an advisor to those guys. And then we have Daniel in the lion's den and it goes on. So it didn't matter who was leading the country. God had Daniel right there at the top. Daniel chose to honour his God above all else. God accepted his faith in doing this and answered by proving that he indeed cared for Daniel. In the end, we read that God gave Daniel three things because of his decision. He gave him wisdom beyond the wisdom of the Babylonians. He gave him influence beyond that of any in the kingdom. And he gave him health that resulted in long life. What potential might be revealed if we, like Daniel, rely on God and ask God to lead us and guide us? Are we expecting that he will do it? 1 John 5 verse 4 says, For whatever is born of God is victorious over the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, even our faith. So as we close, are you honouring God? Are you asking him for his favour and blessing and living expectantly to see him affect your efforts? Or are you trying to live and serve him in your own strength? Because life goes on anyway. And you don't know that he will make a difference. The challenge for each of us is to live as Daniel did. If we take up the challenge and live with our eyes on Christ, open to serving him out of love for him, and anticipating, expecting that he will guide us, I believe we can each expect to see him do new things with us and through us for his glory.